Hey, welcome to the Church on Boulevard Sermons Podcast, an extension of the ministry of Church on Boulevard in Richmond, Virginia. We hope that you'll find your time meaningful and that you'll learn to live life to the fullest as we grow together. I know that we were just standing and sitting, but you're going to get some exercise this morning, I guess. Would you stand with me again as I read from the living and active Word of God? I used to not believe that. I used to not think that this was living and active, but I've had enough experiences recently that are not coincidence to say this. there's something going on with God's Word. So let's receive this together this morning. If you have um, a Bible with you, pull it out. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have it on your phone, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll be reading out of the ESV translation. And I'm starting in verse 17, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And let me just read verse 17 one more time because that's what we're gonna zoom in on today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right, so we're starting a series where we're going to go through our mission statement at Church on Boulevard. The mission of Church on Boulevard is growing together as people whose lives are completely different because the gospel challenges our thinking, transforms our desires, and it pours love and power into our lives to do justice in the world. We're gonna break it up into four chunks, and this week we're starting with just the phrase, completely different. What does it mean to be completely different because of the gospel? And if you're not familiar, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to the earth, fully God, fully man, and has reconciled us back to God as we read this morning. So when I, when I was a student in college, I was really like coming into my faith. I was very like grace in your face kind of guy. Like I was like all about Jesus as I was first like re, like I felt like I was rekindling the flames. I grew up in a Christian home, but in college I was coming back into my faith. And I took this verse, the first verse that we read here, that in Christ we're a new creation. And I typed it up and I taped it inside of my shower. 
And for me, it wasn't just ink and paper. It was like every day, a dose of hope and joy. It was refreshing. It was freeing to me because I was like, I was excited. I was like, man, I'm a new creation. Every morning, I get a new opportunity to do life. It's like a new lease on life. I was so like wide-eyed and like bushy-tailed. I felt liberated by that message. It inspired me. In fact, part of the reason that I was so stirred up by it is it caused me to think, if God's made me new and he loves me and my work in the world now is to reconcile people to him, then I don't have to go around trying to prove myself like I've always done. I can just go and live my life and serve God in wherever I may go today. But then I graduated school and I got a job in ministry and there was a lot of learning and I saw people suffering and struggling. I saw people ending marriages. I saw people trying to figure out where is God in this mess? And then I, as I experienced more, I took on more responsibility, which will always teach you a lot. So became a parent, became a parent twice over, got a house, started paying more bills. And suddenly the verse that I had stuck on my shower to elevate my faith started to undermine my faith. It started to undermine my faith because I had this thought, and maybe you've thought this before if you're a Christian or you've gone to church long enough. I had the thought, if I'm a new creation, if I'm a new creation in Christ and my life's supposed to look totally different, why do I still struggle with debilitating anxiety? If I'm a new creation in Christ, why is my identity so fragile? I get offended so easily. If I'm a new creation in Christ, isn't life supposed to lead to like more blessing? <laughs> like if I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing, I was working at a church. I was doing all the good things and I wanted more blessing in my life. And here's, the, here's another one. If we're new creations in Christ and I know other people who claim to be new creations, why does the church seem so much less loving than my non-Christian neighbors? Okay, I see some heads nodding. So I'm not the only one that feels this way, right? I was hoping I, was hoping I wouldn't be the only one. Maybe you stayed away from church for a while because of a lot of those reasons, a lot of those questions. Here's how I would distill it down. It's like there's this dirty little secret in Christianity, which is the life that we're promised in scripture, the abundant life, is not what we're experiencing day to day. We say we've been recreated and then we're going about our life and we're like, I ain't got my flying shoes on. Like, I don't, I don't, feel, like I'm, I don't feel like I'm making it any better. And the world feels like it burdens us. Have you ever felt like you attend church? Maybe you're gaining some knowledge about God. You pray and you still struggle with a sense of inner emptiness. You still at the end of the day are like, you know what? There's some gaps inside of me that feel empty. If so, then that is your old self rearing its head. You know exactly what Paul's talking about in this passage, because when he says there's an old and now there's a new, the old has a different operating system. 
And even if you become a new creation, the habits of the old can continue into the new creation. And God's got to do something about all that in our lives, and we've got to partner with him to do it. So in order to learn more about this, this sits at the epicenter of what we want to be as a church, people who are transformed by the gospel of Jesus, people who know how to be new creations in a community together that's countercultural, that loves each other better than the culture could love each other, that knows each other deeply. If we want to be that, I think we can start here in this verse. Today, let's journey together into the heart of one verse, the first one, verse 17. And I'm going to read that verse again, and then I'm going to give you kind of the overview of where we're headed. Here's the verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So here's what we're going to look at. What's the problem with the old self? Why is the old self still a problem for you today? What does it mean to be a new creation in Christ or said another way? What's God done about it? What's God doing to help us out? What has he done to solve the problem of the old self? And why is this vital for our mission as a church, specifically our mission as Church on Boulevard? All right, so the first point, what's the problem with the old self? The old self represents life without Christ. It represents life that hasn't been transformed and renewed by Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, 12, which is just a few verses before what we read, Paul says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those, listen to this, who boast about outward appearance. There's the old self. And not about what is in the heart. He's saying people live their lives even if you think that you go deep, even if you think that I'm in therapy and I'm going to counseling, you still care about outward appearance. You do and I do. And Paul is pointing that out. He says, that's the old self. It's so tied up in knots over outward appearance. Paul is talking about the old self here and he's linking it to the worship of externalities, characterized by an endless quest to validate yourself based on your achievements and your performance and your social approval. This places a burden on you. <laughs> this means that you go to church and you feel like you get good advice, but not good news. Advice just tells you what you should and shouldn't do. And the burden is still on you. The old self just heaps the burdens on its performance-based worth and it leads to a fragile identity. So you might be thinking, okay, I get it. That's great. I've heard all this before, Drew. But I, I feel like that's for people who don't know Jesus. Like I'm just supposed to limp along with a life with God and act like everything's fine. I'm not really supposed to expect much out of my life with Christ because I know transformation takes time and character development. Isn't that for people like who don't know Jesus? You're supposed to tell them all this stuff that like this will change their life. But here's the kicker. Paul wasn't writing to non-Christians. He was writing to a church in Corinth. Think of it as ancient Las Vegas. Corinth was a metropolitan complex. It was right on um, an isthmus, basically a small body of water that linked the north and south areas of Greece at the time. And this was a transient culture. It's where you went to Corinthianize. Do you know what that means? Corinthianize was a term almost like how Google has become vernacular in our own language. Corinthianize means have a lot of good sex with a lot of different people. You Corinthianize 
because sex becomes religion. The temple prostitutes came out at nights. Like Corinth was the place you went so that things could stay in Corinth (laughs) and not travel with you in your life, but they always did. And I tell you what, that church that Paul's writing to right here was riddled with the problem of the old self. Their identity is fragile because it was based on their performance credentials. And Paul's actually writing to them because they've been calling him out as not being a very good preacher, being a money grubber. You ever heard these like critiques of pastors? It's nothing new. And Paul is saying, you're just looking at the outward appearance. You're playing the old game, the old self game. So if the Corinthian church could miss it, if they could go to church and hear about God and they could totally miss the gospel, it doesn't transform them. It doesn't get from here to here. Then you and I have missed it too. We don't understand the gospel. I don't get it. You don't get it. We don't get it. It's too big for us. How then do we miss the gospel? How do we miss what it's all about? Let's move into our second point. What is the modern problem of the old self? How do you have a problem with the old self? How do I have a problem with the old self? How do we miss the gospel? We miss it because the old self acts as a block. It self-protects, preventing God's grace from penetrating our hearts. Dr. Tim Keller would say, it's because we confuse Christianity with religion. Religion is like the old way. Religion is based on performing for God. You could call religion the way of the old self. It's the modus operandi of the old self. And we all struggle with this. And it's sneaky. Religion is sneaky because it masquerades as Christianity. It masquerades as Christianity, but it's really just more moral burden. It's a lot of good advice and not good news. Your head will say, "Mm mm-hmm, I get it. I know the doctrines of grace. I know that Jesus died for me. Have you ever had this experience? You're you're nodding along, you're sitting in church, and then you go home and you just lose it on your spouse or whatever, and then you're suddenly feeling guilt and shame, and your heart is like, nope, don't get it, don't get it, don't get it. My head gets it, my heart doesn't get it. Tim Keller would say, we confuse Christianity with religion. Religion is based on outward appearance, the old way and the old self. Listen to this. Religion says, a religious person says, if I obey, God will bless me. You might not think you're saying that to yourself, but when you shake your fist at God because life isn't going your way, that's exactly what you believe. You're saying, why has my life ended up this way? I've done all these good things for God. He should bless me. And religion places all the burden on you to figure it out and get God's blessing. This is the way of the old self. You think you have to earn your self-worth, so your identity becomes super fragile. It rises and falls with the vicissitudes of your performance. You're doing well, you feel good. You're doing not so well, you don't feel so good. There's no gospel in that. The religious person may acknowledge God, but you know what they're motivated by? Who can guess? What are you motivated by if you always have to perform? Yes, and underneath that, yeah, an idol, and underneath that is fear. 
fear, seeking to earn God's approval through good deeds. That's when you go to church and you say, everybody's looking at me strange. I must have done something wrong this week. God must be looking at me strange. I must have done something wrong this week. My life's not going so well. God must be punishing me. That is religion. When life goes awry, you will either blame yourself or you'll blame God because you believe your good behavior should have rewarded you. You should, life should be going well because you did all the good things. And when life goes well, listen to this, even when life goes well in the religious way, it's not so great. Why? You're prone to Phariseeism, self-righteousness. Look at those people who life's not going so well for. They must not be performing as well in life. You don't think that you believe this, but you walk around and you judge people all day long. And I know you do because I do. <laughs> and I don't want to do it. And I still do it. Did you know that's the core problem of every human being? The Bible calls it sin. But really, it's just we don't know how to get out of our own way. It's not the gospel. It's the old self. It's hidden behind religious activity. You can hide it real good. These are the people that drive you nuts. And it's okay to admit that religious people sometimes drive us nuts, even if sometimes we're the religious person. Let's all be hypocrites for a second and just embrace the fact that there are people that we see at church and we're like, you do not live this out in your daily life. And I know it. And we're keeping receipts. So some of you in the room are like, but I'm not religious. <laughs> I already have been to church long enough and gone to those cool, hip, mega churches that taught me that that's works-based righteousness. And I believe in grace. I don't believe in works. I'm doing fine. And maybe you are doing fine right now. But can your identity handle your performance crashing and burning next week? Do you have the type of identity that's rooted so deep like an oak tree that when the winds come and the rains pour down, you're not going to be uprooted and tipped right over? That you're losing your job won't crush you? Not just like suffering. Christians suffer. We're going to get into that. But I'm saying like your identity is fragile. You know that if you lose this thing, you might as well cease to exist. Is that you? Do you feel that? You might say you're doing fine, but are you so sure? Ernest Becker uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for his book, The Denial of Death. Basically, he talks about how as human beings, we have to die de deny death to live a healthy life. If we think about death every day, it's going to crush us. <laughs> So we find ways to pat ourselves and insulate ourselves against death. Ernest Becker was, I believe, a secular Jew, maybe more of an atheist, but he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't writing as a Christian. And he said, here's the kicker, though. Everyone is religious. Every single human is religious. Religion, the problem is, just it falls short of its own ideals. Why is everyone religious? I think uh, atheist and American novelist David Foster Wallace says it best. If you've been around here a little bit, you've heard this quote many a time. I'm going to read it again. He was addressing Kenyon College for their commencement address in 2005, and he said this, the only choice we get in life is what we worship, not whether we worship. In other words, we're all religious. Listen to this. 
An outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, and this is David Foster Wallace speaking, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you really tap the meaning of life, then you will never have enough. You'll never have enough. You'll always say, when I have enough, but you'll never have it. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, sexual allure, allure, yeah, it's a hard, uh, hard O, hard, it's a U, whatever. <laughs> sexual allure, you'll always feel ugly. If that's what you worship, you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. The problem with saying you're not religious is that it's not tenable to live that way unless you turn a blind eye to your worship. Unless you turn a blind eye to your compulsion to find something to help you feel okay at the deepest level. Let's consider another illustration. I gotta find a way to get this paper back here. Everybody feeling good? Yeah, okay. <laughs> or, or bad. <laughs> My wife's reading a novel right now, and she told me uh, about this quote in it, and I was like, that's it. That's what it looks like to live in the old way. It feels like this. This is not a Christian novel, by the way. It's a, the main character is an athlete, is that right? At one point in the story, she says this. And when I heard this, I was like, man, this gets my heart. Like, I don't feel this as like a patronizing, like shame on this person for feeling this way. I feel it like this sounds like me. She says, my ambition has long felt oppressive. It's not a joy. It's a master I must answer to a smoke that descends into my life, making it hard to breathe. It's only, listen, this is the old way. It's only my discipline, my willingness to push myself harder that's been my way through. I just gotta pull myself up on my bootstraps. You only live once, you gotta grind, you gotta get on your grind, hustle culture. I'm gonna make a way for myself. Doesn't it sound, when, even when like, you read it in a quote, can't you kind of hear the person, like if you were having a conversation with this person, wouldn't you be like, you're lying right now. It's not just your discipline that gets you through. You're still kind of questioning whether that discipline is going to get you through. You're still hanging on your own performance. Because we all know, what is it? What's that uh, pink song? You're perfect. But, yeah, I know. <laughs> I just realized... There's a, there's, for anybody that doesn't know, there's a strong profanity right before that word, and uh, I just referenced it. Um, the whole song is about how you're not perfect, but you're perfect. In other words, when we play the game of religion, we have to tell ourselves we're something we're not. That's the best we can do. And it's not terrible. It's not bad to like live this way or try to deny death or all these things. It's what we all do. I just, I feel like we want more than that out of life. I feel like we want a stable identity. We want to know that God can reach us in the depths and help us feel accepted. If you obey God to gain your own acceptance, regardless of whether your God is money, sex, popularity, career, Jesus, Allah, whatever, if what you're doing when you worship that God is trying to get your acceptance, your identity is on shaky ground, driven by fear and insecurity, criticism will either infuriate you 
or crush you. Like you just can't get it out of your mind, that person that said that about you. And you didn't care when you were telling your spouse about it before you went to bed, but now you're like laying at the ceiling like, I care. You can't stop thinking about it. It infuriates you or it crushes you. Your identity is fragile. Your self-worth is tied to your actions and morality. You'll become judgmental and you'll only selectively care about social justice. Why? Why is justice linked to this? Because you're only going to serve the people that help you feel like you're moving forward in life. And when that gets too hard, you're not going to serve them anymore. You're going you're to just turn around and, and selectively say, you know what? They're poor for a reason, probably. And those poor people, that's their own fault. They, it's, they put themselves in this situation, and it's not my job to take care of them. That's the way your mind will think. And over time, you'll become cynical. You'll drain those around you. Do you know somebody who's a drain in your life? Maybe they're your age, maybe they're younger, maybe they're older. They've lived in this way so long, they don't know another way. And they're so critical and they're so negative. And yeah, they have all the arguments against you being a Christian or against faith, but you look at their life and you're like, but I don't know what you have either. You're miserable. The gospel is actually the thing that will fill the gaps in our struggles for faith and our struggles to live an abundant life. And it's something we think we understand, but we don't. We don't understand it on the experience level. We don't get it because we're still riddled with performance anxiety and all the worries of the old self. And that's why we need Jesus. This is point three. What does God do about it? What's the meaning of new creation? Why do we need a new creation? Because everything that I've said up until now is true of all of us. That's why we need it. When do we need new creation? Now. When do we need it again? Tomorrow or in an hour. (laughs) If I keep talking long enough, I'll probably need it in just a couple minutes. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The essence of this verse is the transformative power of Jesus, of accepting him in your life. Okay, but how does the gospel transform you? These are the questions that I've always wanted to address in church or when I've attended churches. So I'm going to do my best to dig into this based on my current understanding but like you, I'm still learning and growing. So let this do what it does in your heart and shake you up. And then let's grab coffee and talk about these if any of this doesn't make sense to you. (laughs) I have free time (laughs) and it only exists for you guys, my family and God. So if there's something in here that you're like, wait a second, Drew, that caught my attention and you didn't do a great job of explaining it in your sermon, but I'd like more details. Let's look at it together. But I'm gonna go through some questions here to help us understand this new creation and what God does for us. Sound good? Here's the first one. How does the gospel transform you? What are the mechanics of becoming a new creation? I'm gonna go to John 3 for this one. Jesus meets up with this guy, or rather this guy comes to him, who's a religious leader, very old self kind of guy, doing a great job with religion, very pious, very devout. His name's Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, And he says, he starts talking to him about how he gets eternal life, how he can see the kingdom of God. He talks to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, you're pretty much like a prophet. I know God speaks through you. And so um, tell me, what, what types of things do I need to do to be good with God? What's your approach, Jesus? Because rabbis all had their own approach. And he wanted to know what Jesus thought. 
And Jesus says, you need to be born again, <laughs> which is weird. And it confuses Nicodemus and it confuses us. Born again, new creation, a radical transformation has to happen at your core. That's what Jesus is saying. What happens when you're born? Are you responsible for your birth? No. What happens when you're born? Do you have to learn how to grow? Yeah. Does learning how to grow have anything to do with whether or not it was grace that you were born in the first place? No. You didn't earn your birth. And you still have to grow. And that takes effort and pain. Okay. So we're getting a little closer, right? The new creation is like a new birth. It involves repentance and conversion. Those are the mechanics. These are the key words. What is repentance? It's, uh, in some ways, it's like saying you're sorry to God, but I think a better way of defining repentance would be this. Ceasing to live for yourself, letting go of the reins of your life. The first step of AA, right? That we need a higher power. I can no longer manage my issues on my own. And I love... AA and people that have gone through it because they get this. It's step one, right? You got to release control of your life to a higher power. Okay, it's important who that higher power is, though. Ceasing to live for oneself and letting Jesus take authority is the essence of repentance and conversion. Then God does the work of regenerating you, He sends His Holy Spirit. This is the crazy part where actually, guys, if you don't want to nod your head and you just want to leave today and be like, okay, that was a little woo-woo, we need to understand that Christianity is woo-woo. Because if we don't recognize that there's some mystical, weird stuff in Christianity, we're just going to keep attending church. And then we're going to have a conversation at a bar with somebody who's going to say, but what about that new birth thing? And you, you think the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? And if you don't know how to answer them, if you haven't wrestled with this for yourself, you're going to want to toss it all out the window. We have to know, it's very important that we know that the gospel is built on sturdy ground, but it is not easy for us to wrap our minds and hearts around. What happens at conversion is God gives his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, to you. On a subconscious level, it comes into your life and takes over your life. That's how you're born again. That's how you can be unhitched from the old self. Now listen to this. This happens by a totally supernatural work of God. And it grants you all the spiritual blessings of Jesus. Conversion is a permanent change rooted in Jesus' sacrifice, not on your own work or effort. What are the signs of a completely life, completely different life with Jesus? One verse before what we read today, Paul says, you regard no one according to the old self. Even though you once regarded even Jesus according to the old self, you regard him thus no longer. In other words, the shift brings a longing for closeness with God. In other words, we stop walking around worried so much about the outward appearance. What this might look like if you've just been reborn is what happens at the beginning of AA. You just start to become aware of it. You, this is why you might not feel like you're radically transformed right away. But the fact that you're noticing that you go through life caring so much what other people think of you, the fact that you start noticing that you do have a God that is not Jesus in your life, that's not loving you, that's actually like a cruel master, that's actually a sign that you've been reborn. In other words, we've talked about this before around here too, a sense of God's absence 
is a sign of his presence in your life. You would not desire him without that. If you nodded your head, in other words, with what I said earlier, chances are there's something going on in your spirit even right now. The Holy Spirit has started to nudge you because it's starting to resonate with you. But here's the real test. Do you desire to give your life to Jesus? The shift brings a longing for closeness with God and it brings joy. If you're joyless, you're not a Christian, period. If you never experience joy, you're not a Christian. You come to realize your performance doesn't save you and your circumstances aren't an indication of God's blessing. Even if you can tell yourself that, but you don't experience it, like you don't feel it yet, that's still a sign of a new creation. You're starting to see with new eyes. As soon as Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I see you're a man of God. And Jesus says, how do you know I'm a man of God? You can't see the kingdom unless you're reborn. You can't even see the things of God unless you're reborn. If you start seeing it, if you read your Bible in the morning, this is why you want to read your Bible. Not because that earns your way to God. It's because it's going to help you have eyes to see. So then when you live during the day and you're like, this is acting out just the way that Jesus said it would on the Sermon on the Mount, then suddenly you have spiritual eyes. It reminds you that you've been recreated. It's really, really important. It fosters humility. It lessens the need to prove yourself to community. So what are the benefits of receiving the gospel? I think, I think we get what some of them are, but let me just list a couple. The gospel means good news. Okay, that clearly didn't land very well. <laughs> good news. Remember, religion is the way of good what? Advice. Good works, good advice. What's the difference between advice and news? News is something that's happened that impacts everything you do from here on out. It's something that's happened before you and you respond to. Advice just puts more burden on your shoulders. It says you should and should not do this. Advice places burdens on, news lifts those burdens, especially good news. Let me explain it this way. There was a young man who went to a revival service. So this dates this illustration. Revival services where people from all over would get together. There's actually, there was one that happened recently in, was it Tennessee? Asbury. Basically people come together, they feel like the Holy Spirit's there and they just, they'll sing or worship or preach or whatever for on and on, long hours. So this is an illustration of a guy that's gone to one of those. And while he was there, he felt convicted. So he left halfway through the sermon and he goes to the pastor afterwards while they're packing up. And he says this, pastor, what can I do to be saved? And the pastor hardly even lifts his eyes from the work he's doing. And he says, I'm sorry, son, you're too late. The boy said, surely that can't, that can't possibly be. Um, I can't be too late. I mean, you're still here. Won't you just tell me what I need to do to be saved? And the pastor stopped what he was doing and he looked up and he said, I'm sorry, son, you're too late. Jesus did everything necessary for you to be saved 2,000 years ago. All you have to do is receive his finished work for your salvation. Receiving is very different than striving and earning. Remember, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm good. But the gospel says, I'm made good, therefore I obey. The reason your identity gets so much stronger in the gospel as a new creation is because your motivation changes for life. 
you no longer operate out of fear. You operate out of grateful joy for what Jesus has already done. In the gospel, obedience stems from grateful joy, not fear or insecurity. The Christian acts to deepen their relationship with God. If everything I'm doing can deepen my relationship with God, there is no way I can fail. I don't need to earn favors. This establishes a stable identity in Christ built on grace. And you know what? It's an antidote to self-righteousness. Why? If you're saved by sheer grace, you didn't do anything. This is also part of the reason why we don't like the gospel. We all want to save ourselves. It makes us feel really good. It's what gets us the gold star. We want to save ourselves. But the gospel says, no, you cannot save yourself. The only way for this thing to work is God has to do all of it for you. And if God does all of it for you, then you didn't earn it. You can't look down on anybody who believes or thinks differently than you. You can't look down on somebody for their sexuality. You can't look down on them for their immoral behavior. It doesn't mean that you have no boundaries in your life. It doesn't mean that you don't follow the way of God. What it means is, is that you have given up your right to feel better than anybody else because you're a sinner just like anybody else. And that's the bad news, and it's why our culture hates Christianity. But I'm telling you, it's way better news than what our culture is giving us. You know why? Because the culture starts with the good news. You're fine as you are. And then we feel it. We feel that we aren't actually fine, and we have nowhere to go to deal with it. Christianity says, you're not fine as you are. <laughs> but Christ loves you, values you so much that he's recreated you, and he's gonna to continue to recreate you. Now, here's why this is important. Here's why this is really, really important. Many churches land on the first half of the gospel and they say it really emphatically. You're a sinner saved by grace. You need to know that you're not better than anybody else. But here's why the, the back half of the gospel gets missed. It's a paradox. The gospel accounts for every single gray area and paradox of life. And here's how it does it. You're walking down the street. You see that homeless person. Your old self wants to feel better than them because you didn't put yourself in that position. But your new self says, I could easily end up in that position. If I wasn't born into the family I was born into, if I wasn't given the opportunities I was given, I could easily fall into that position. I'm a sinner saved by grace. They're a sinner saved by grace. Okay, but if you live there, that's not the gospel. Then you keep walking and you get in your car and you start feeling guilt and shame because you're like, I should have given them all my money. Like I should have, oh man, I like totally, totally botched it. I should have cared for that person better. And then you pause and you say, wait a second, wait a second. Not only am I a sinner saved by grace, but I'm valuable enough that I had to be saved by grace. See, it's not just that Jesus died because you did wrong and you needed him to die for you. That gives you humility. It's also crazy confidence because he died for you. You were worth that. You are valuable to him in that way that he would get slaughtered on a cross for you. But what if I have the new creation and I don't experience the results? How do I get gospel power? Here's how. In the new creation in Christ, struggles will still exist. Anxiety will still persist. Why? You're saved by grace. You're going to carry in some old habits and you're still going to struggle and suffer with that. And the Bible does have a solution to that. It's that when you get to heaven, you will be perfected and that won't happen anymore. But right here on earth, what's the good news for here and now in Jesus? Paul faced numerous trials 
He saw those experiences as opportunities for growth and transformation because of the gospel. Remember, your identity is solid if you can go into any situation and say, God, this is awful. I hate this. This is why the laments like are lavish in the Bible. There's tons of pain and agony. Why? They take it straight to God. They don't cover it up with drugs, sex, whatever else, money, whatever else we're trying to cover up our pain with. You just take it straight to God. Most of us think we gotta hide from God. That's the old self. That's the old way. God loves you so much that he died for you. The new self goes straight to God. Whenever you sin, you're excited to run to God. You're like, God, I totally botched it again. And you know what? That reminds me of how much I need you. And you know what that means? That means you love me even more than I thought you loved me. Because I thought you loved me this much on this day, and I really messed things up today, and you still love me. That is a solid identity. That is identity like stalwart steel. No one can take that identity from you. And the very anxieties and weaknesses that we wish to be rid of become channels through which God pours his grace into the core of our being, and then it manifests itself in our lives. And yes, our habits do change. But first, we have to let him pour that in. The phrase, the new has come, it's not great in English, but we don't have uh, the grammar for this. It's in the perfect tense, Derek. Do you want to define the perfect tense or do you want me to do it? I have it in my notes, so it's always, it's always true. That's better than what I had. Here's what I had, just, just so you can see the style, like Derek's simplification and how complex I make things. I said, the perfect tense is a present reality with perpetual future implications, or it's always true. Thank you. Yeah. What does that even mean? Okay. Here's what it means. It means it happened once and what it meant when it happened carries on forever, every single moment. We don't have a verb tense like that. In other words, the new has come and is coming 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 forever. The new didn't just come once. And you missed it because now you're like sinning again. Now you got to figure it out again and go back to God. Mm-mm. Nope. He keeps pouring it all over you. Maybe you're like, uh, it's been like a year since I've gone to church. And so I've got like an accrual of, of tons of things that I don't even know how to like take to God at this point. I, I can't, uh, there's probably tons of stuff I don't even know. I couldn't even verbalize. Scripture's got you covered there. The Holy Spirit prays on your behalf. Even when your heart condemns you, Scripture says, God doesn't condemn you. So you got to claim that. What can you do? Here's what you can do. You ready? We're going to love this part. This is the do part. We're Americans. We like to do things. You can seize the power of the gospel by working out in your heart and in your relationships. Here's how you do it. This is what we're trying to do with Church on Boulevard. If we could be a church where everybody knows how to do this, oh man, I'm telling you, this is, this is the epicenter. Here's what you do. You learn how to take the humility of the gospel and the confidence of the gospel into every single situation. So you work it out like this. You think about the goodness of Jesus when you want to think ill of yourself. You don't try to tell yourself you're better than you are. You take the truth of what you've done wrong. Oh man, this would heal so many relationships. You take the truth of what you've done wrong and you don't have to hide or skirt around it anymore. Why? Because you're so loved. Wait, no, no, no. Even with the way that I like ended my last marriage, even with the way that last night I like totally like just fell back on my sobriety and totally botched it. Yeah, even with all of that, this is what I mean. The gospel is hard to embrace. It's hard to believe. And it's true. 
And if that's true, then it means the gospel applies to every single one of your situations. There's none too small and you get to work it. You get to work it. And this is why you need a church. And this is why we need church on Boulevard. Because I don't think we do this enough as Christians. I think we do a really good job at entertaining ourselves. Right, Derek? I'm sorry, I keep calling you out. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Derek. (laughs) So you claim it. God promised it, you claim it. You stop saying, but I don't feel it. Nope, nope. I claim it. I claim, Jesus, that you've said that I can live with gratitude and joy, and you wrestle with him. Let him pop your hip out of the socket if he has to, to get you to know how much he loves you. Anybody get that Bible reference? That was an Old Testament reference. Jacob. Yeah, of course Christians are hypocritical. Of course. Of course Christians are imperfect because God's uniquely shaping each of us on our own journey. He is uniquely recreating us and we're all at different places in the process. We've been reborn. Some of us are crawling around like infants. But if you crawl around like an infant from the age that you're 20 when you got reborn until you pass away when you're 80, yeah, you probably won't experience much of the power of the gospel. And yeah, you'll probably be in heaven and that'll be great and you'll be remade. But you had 60 years here on earth to just work the gospel into your heart so that you could be ready for heaven before you even got there. Dallas Willard says, will you recognize heaven when you get there? (laughs) All right, so let's close this out a little bit, you guys. Every new creation struggles, but, but, but Christ is always there. Conversion is not just individual, it's also communal. Becoming a new creation in Christ, this is the final point, is good news for us collectively as a church because we become part of a new community, united in the spirit, in love and faith. We're called into this transformative work of the gospel. Remember how Paul said, you got the ministry of reconciliation now. We got to reconcile, you guys. There's all sorts of communities that need to be like reconciled back to God. There's all sorts of communities that need to be reconciled back to the church. Gay neighbors won't even come to church because they're like, well, I live a lifestyle that, you know, is condemned pretty much in church, so I can't, I can't go to your church. We got to reconcile with the LGBT community. I have too many addiction issues. I, I can't go to church. We got to reconcile with them. What does reconciling mean? It means you got to know the gospel. So some of us are going to get really excited and be like, I want to go do the social justice. Let me go do that. Pause, stop. Be in community for a while. Marinate in this. If this sounds new to you, get it deep in you. Because I'm telling you, the enemy can undercut that so easily. Get to know the gospel here in a safe space or at any church where you can really dig into the gospel. Get to learn how to work it. How do you work it out? How do you work it out in your finances? How do you work it out with your spouse? Paige and I got a therapist who taught us how to tell the gospel uniquely to each other based on our personality types whenever we're feeling low. Because sometimes you don't know how to say it to yourself. And so I gotta say it to you and vice versa. We aren't strong enough to do it on our own. Do you get it? That's why the individual salvation is not enough for us to grow in our faith. Oh man, passionate about that. Louis Burkhoff or Louis Burkhoff says, uh, together Christians are, this is so good, animated by the same spirit, filled with the same love, stand in the same faith, engaged in the same warfare and bound for the same goal. Your brothers and sisters are struggling in the same warfare. You got somebody you need to make a phone call to today and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. And they'll be like, oh, that's nice. You'll probably forget to do it. And you might, but the gospel. Okay, I'm going on. 
This means it's your responsibility in Christ to help your brothers and sisters grow out of their hypocrisy. You work out the gospel together. We lovingly support and correct one another. It is actually unloving to leave other, um, leave other believers in the spot where they're at. To not address the fact that the Bible suggests a Christian sexual ethic that's traditional, one man, one woman for life, to not ever have those conversations, like, that's no good. We have to say, well, there's a reason why God calls us to this. And if you don't like that aspect of scripture, then you gotta wrestle with that. No more canceling, no more walking away. Our culture's really good at that. But if you wanna do this thing in the gospel, you gotta wrestle with it into your heart. It's countercultural. Our culture knows how to cancel people for bad behavior. They know how to tolerate people. But only the church has the power of God to not just cancel, but then forgive and reconcile. Why? Because the wrong that you did to me gets absorbed on the cross of Jesus. So actually, Jennifer Aniston posted this quote this week. Did you see it? Fox News jumped all over it because they're all about anti-cancel culture. But she basically said, is there no redemption anymore? And I read it and I was like, oh, Jen, you have no clue. There's so much redemption. You just can't do it like as people. See, we run to the end of the road with cancel culture because we have no human resources to forgive somebody. Because whenever someone's hurt, and we'll talk about this in future weeks, there's a debt and that debt has to be addressed or there's no justice. The Christian has resources for that. The Christian says, that debt that they did to me, that crushes me, was done justice on the cross. Jesus did it. Jesus took that. Yeah, the church has the power to not just tolerate, but challenge each other. Our culture, we can't even, we can't even come to consensus because we can't have conversations anymore. We can't talk about anything. As soon as politics come up, we have no resources to think differently and still love one another. We gotta learn how to do it. That's what we're gonna learn how to do with Church on Boulevard. So in conclusion, Jesus has already done everything necessary for your salvation. He's transforming you from the inside out on a daily basis. And as a church, we're not merely individuals bumping into each other to earn God's favor, but we're a community of new creations living out the grace we've been given. Our mission is to share this good news with the world so that others might find their burdens lifted and their lives transformed. That's what we get to do together. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Church on Boulevard Sermons podcast. You can find out more about Church on Boulevard by going to www.churchonblvd.com.